Welcome to Global Stage, a podcast highlighting academic and policy-oriented international research on democracy and human development. Global Stage is a production of the Kellogg Institute for International Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs at the University of Notre Dame. Welcome to Global Stage, a podcast from the Kellogg Institute here at the University of Notre Dame. My name is Alejandro Gonzalez, and I am a PhD student in political science here at Notre Dame, affiliated to the Kellogg Institute. Today, we are very glad to have with us Dr. Francisco Guerrero, who is the Secretary for Strengthening Democracy at the Organization of American States, OAS. He has been also a researcher, professor, columnist, and a government official. He obtained his PhD in international affairs and a master in international conflict analysis from the University of Kent in the UK, and he holds a law degree from the National University of Mexico, UNAM. Dr. Francisco is the author of several books, among them, The Role of Radio and Television in the New Model of Political Communication, Lessons from Mexico, The Vote of the Mexicans Abroad, Background, Reflections, and Look into the Future. And he has participated in several other publishing works and a wide variety of journals. He has also participated in 49 electoral observation missions in 34 countries. And well, as you can see, he has a very extensive experience in the field. So Dr. Francisco, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for the invitation, Alejandro. Thank you for being with us. So let's get started. The Organization of American States is the oldest regional forum for political discussions in the Western Hemisphere. It brings together leaders from almost all the nations across the Americas to address several issues related to human rights, security, sustainable development, among others, of course, democracies. But for our listeners, especially for people who are not familiar with the Secretariat for Strengthening Democracy, could you please provide like an overview of its role in supporting democracy in the region? Well, as you said, the OAS is a regional organization, the most important political fora in the whole region. And uh, since 23 years ago, we have, fortunately, the Democratic Charter. This Democratic Charter is extremely important because the Democratic Charter gives us all the instruments to secure fair, free and good elections in the continent. So democracy is, I would say, that is a core value of the organization. Through the missions of electoral observation, we have the possibility of going to all the countries that in which we are invited to. And that gives us, let's say, a regional panorama of what's happening in this part of the world. So these electoral observation missions are under the umbrella of your secretariat within the Organization of American States. Yeah. The Secretariat for Strengthening Democracy has, uh, we're quite busy all year because, first of all, we we, partic- we organize these electoral observation missions, but we also work in favor of peace. We have an, a special mission in, in Colombia, which is called by its uh, Spanish denomination as MAP. We also participate in the promotion of peace between Belize and Guatemala in the adjacency zone. And we are also very much involved in special missions when it's necessary. The most recent case is what happened in Guatemala, in which in, in that country, in that Central American country, the electoral process was in danger. And through 
our secretariat, we were able to help out the permanent council and, and some other countries in the region to defend democracy. And unfortunately, now President Arevalo is in power. He gained, he won the election. And uh, that was good news for, for the continent because uh, democratic values prevailed. Thank you, Dr. Francisco. And we are going to be back with the topic of Guatemala and the challenges of democracies across the Americas. But before that, I would like to reflect on your academic and professional career. Could you share with us the experiences that have driven to your interest in elections and democracy? Well, let me tell you that perhaps I'm a, I'm a strange case of someone who has been involved in politics, who has been also, I was an electoral counselor back in my country at the Federal Electoral Institute. I participated in the Mexican Senate, in the Mexican Chamber of Deputies, but at the same time I was working come and go in the academic world through the Anahuac University when we founded a master's program and a PhD program related to government. And I've been very lucky because I've been a player, I've been a referee, and now I am, I'm extremely lucky because I'm, I've been a member of uh, Mr. Almagros, who's the Secretary General Cabinet, for almost 10 years. So I guess that democracy has been a part of my life working within political party, but also working, organizing elections, but also working on the legislative part of it. And finally, I guess that now that I have the opportunity of compare political systems through the work that I do at the OAS, it seems to me that democracy is essential for the development of a human being. So it's very close to my personal biography, if you could say so. Yeah, yeah, I understand. And it's a very impressive Career. So let's move now to the discussion of democracy in Latin America. What, in your view, and after all these experiences that you just mentioned, are the key challenges that the region faces in maintaining democratic institutions and, of course, in continue conducting free and fair elections? Well, I think there are so many challenges that we're facing. The most important one is poverty. As you know, Latin America as a region is the most unequal region of the world even more than Africa, even more than Asia. That creates a lot of problems because politicians sometimes do not have the opportunity of tackling down all the issues related to social injustice and inequality. But on the other hand, also after the pandemic, and now that we're in the middle of two wars, easy to say, but we have to remember that the world is facing military conflict in the Middle East and in Europe. All these elements together create a fact of polarization, particularly a very strong polarization in societies. Through the social networks, particularly internet, you can see that now polarization is becoming, I would say, a very damage, creates damage on the democratic system. I don't know if you, if you know, but in the year 2023, according to some studies, the word that was used the most is polarization. So polarization is creating, polarization has been always a part of politics, but now I think we're living some sort of toxic polarization in which the voters sometimes do not have the possibility of evaluating properly the offers that political parties and political leaders are, are putting in, on the table. And sometimes they react more in terms of fanatism or these echo chambers that we see, particularly in internet. So. You don't act as a citizen, you act as a believer. 
or some people say that you can even be a member of a religious cult instead of being a member of a political party or have your own views. So this polarization, this toxic polarization, I think is creating a lot of damage. And if you put that together with social inequality, with the lack of opportunities and all the economic consequences of the pandemic, particularly in the life of people who are struggling, has created, and I would end up with this, a wave of immigration that we hadn't seen in the past. Just to put some numbers in context, 12% of the population of Nicaragua have fled the country because of the dictatorship of Ortega back there. The same happens with Maduro. Almost 7 million Venezuelans have fled the country. And in the case of Central America, millions of Central Americans have been fleeing, particularly issues related to security and the lack of development. So there are social and political consequences of the lack of democracy. Thank you, Dr. Guerrero. And how does the OIS address these challenges, as you mentioned, especially in context of high polarization or even violence? Just to put an example, we recently saw in the presidential election in Ecuador, not only presidential candidates using bulletproof shields, something that, at least in my experience, I have never seen before, but even the assassination of a presidential candidate. How can we understand this phenomena? And again, how does the OAS address these challenges? Well, as I was saying, if we have a continent that is so unequal, of course, that creates problems in terms of the distribution of wealth. And that goes directly to the emergence of groups who are very much interested in getting some advantage from that. So organized crime has become a very, very strong problem. You mentioned the case of Ecuador, but we could say that that's the case in many other Latin American countries who are facing the rise in crime. And that's something that has an impact on democracy, particularly because even though we have to recognize that during the pandemic, the participation of voters remained and people showed that they wanted to participate in elections, that doesn't mean that also the fear that is created by the dark money that comes from organized crime, that comes from narc groups, has an impact on what's happening in the field. Sometimes you can see, and, and this is a phenomenon that you see in many countries in Latin America, that the drug lords particularly are very much interested in capturing, for example, the police in every state or the police in small towns, because that's the way in which they can guarantee that they can operate without any trouble, without any problem from the law. And that's a phenomenon that we have to study in the future because it has a greater impact than it had in the past. Thank you, Dr. Guerrero. And going back to the topic of Guatemala, what lessons can we learn from the recent experience of the presidential election? And to what extent, what was the role of international community and the civil society in avoiding a constitutional breakdown in the recent election in Guatemala. What's your take on this? I was lucky enough to be participating in the whole process as an international observer. And what I can tell you is that the case of Guatemala is a special one because nevertheless that Mr. Arevalo won by more than 20 points in the second round, that didn't mean immediately because of the waiting, there's a six month period waiting between the final result in the election and the possession of the new president, you could see that many interest groups within Guatemala were interested, particularly some interest groups that are very much embroiled into the judicial system, that they didn't want Arevalo to become a president. 
which is fantastic, is that international pressure was so high to avoid that situation. As you know, the OAS, the European Union, we got a special press from the Woodrow Wilson Center acknowledging the relevance of, of electoral observation to prevent the collapse of democracy. I think that uh, for the first time in many, many years, you could see that governments from the left, from the center, from the right, they went together to defend the principle of democracy. And at the end of the day, democracy prevailed because according to the opinion of the, I would say the whole world, everybody knew that Mr. Arevalo had won properly and that he was about to be robbed by means who were not legal by means who were looking to stop his arrival to power. And that's a good lesson. The lesson perhaps would be that democracy is not a given. Democracy can be something that can be easily be lost if you don't support institutions, if you don't take care of the will of the people. And that, that's an emergency call, I would say, for the system in order to take more care of democratic institutions. I can see a pattern, it's not only the case of Guatemala, but it's a pattern that we see everywhere of people, even within the government, trying to weaken the democratic institutions. And I'm talking about particularly the electoral courts, the administrative institutions who take care of organizing the elections. Of course, for if we don't have these institutions very strong, it's very easy to try to get rid of the popular vote. And that's something that it could be a tragedy. So I think we have to pay attention to that. And nevertheless, that the Guatemalan experience ended well, that doesn't mean that we are not seeing this in the future. We can see, in the, see this in the future because the main problems that caused the Guatemalan situation still remain in many countries in the region. Following up into that point and taking into consideration your experience in international electoral observation, so in academic discussions, the involvement of international organizations in domestic politics has been subject of extensive debate. While some people argue for a more direct and impactful role of multilateral organizations, such as the UN or the OIS, there are other people who advocate for a more limited involvement of these organizations, especially for the historical past of many countries in the region. So how do you see the role of international organizations, particularly in situations where democracy is potentially at risk? I would say that international observation has become a substantial tool to guarantee transparency in the process. And you can see it in the ground. Traditionally, countries who have a democratic heritage, they invite as many international observers as they can, because that's a way to guarantee that the system is going to work properly. You only see limitations in terms of who could come to an election in countries who are having problems with its democratic system, or even worse, countries who do not want international observers. For example, the case of Venezuela. The Venezuelan regime is, is fighting hard not to have any proper international observation because they are hiding so many things, not only because of the system, but also because of the role of the opposition and how they are trying to prevent candidates to participate. So I would say that uh, respecting, of course, international law, respecting domestic law, and according to the agreements that the OAS signs with each country in which there are some rules and procedures that have to be followed, international observation is essential in order to give transparency to the process. Thank you for that, Dr. Guerrero. 
So looking ahead, what do you envision for the future of democracy, not only in Latin America, but also globally, especially when it comes to the use of AI for political campaigns and politics? So how do you see the future and the new challenges for democracy? It's a very uncertain future. You already mentioned the role of artificial intelligence. Imagine all the deep fakes that you can create during the process. That's something that we didn't have in the past. But also with polarization, with misinformation, with black campaigning in many other countries, what we're seeing is that for the citizen, it's very complicated to discern different political offers between political parties. And the other thing that I see as a, as a huge problem is that uh, sometimes for citizens who already are trapped into these echo chambers in which they only listen and they only pay attention to opinions who are along their beliefs, putting that aside, receiving wrong information or fake information is even more complicated and more challenging. I guess that the answer in terms of artificial intelligence is first of all, I think we're going to see in the next few years some sort of regulation from the government in order to see what sort of tools are permissible for democratic competition. But on the other hand, also, I think we have to revive journalism as a way of having a counterattack to all this fake information, to all these deep fakes, to all these lies, these bot factories that we have working day and night trying to create information that is false and that we know is false. So the challenges are huge. But on the other hand, I always try to be optimistic. And on the optimistic side, I would say that citizens in general know the power of voting. And voting is important because the only tool that we have to give our opinion and to change governments in a democratic manner. So it's going to be, we don't know for sure what is going to happen with artificial intelligence, but what I can tell you is that if the system was under stress, now it's going to be even more than it was before. So to conclude our interview for today, and having engaged in more than 49 electoral observation missions across more than 35 countries, Could you share the most significant insights or key takeaways you have gained from these diverse experiences in several countries, maybe from a comparative perspective? Well, it's complicated to compare so many different countries, but I have one issue that makes me optimistic. And is that during the pandemic in which it was very difficult to travel, it was very difficult to be together, it was very difficult to go and vote, people decided to go and vote. We didn't have any cancellations. We didn't have any elections that didn't happen. All the, the electoral calendar in the last three years has been taking place. And that shows that in particular Latin Americans, of course, the whole continent, but in particular Latin Americans are very much enthusiastic about voting. What worries me now is that we go, we observe, we have a good election or something that is close to be good, but the problem is not the election in itself is the quality of governing. And the Inter-American Democratic Charter not only speaks about elections, it also speaks about good government. And I think that the, the huge debt that we have in democracy now is that sometimes when the candidate becomes a president, not necessarily the results are there. And people are getting tired of that. And that's why sometimes you, you see the eruption of populism or you see the eruption of other political situations in which 
people have the enthusiasm to vote, but then they get very disillusioned with the quality of government. But I would stick with the enthusiasm that I've seen in all the countries for voting. I think that's something that we didn't have 40, 50 years ago. People were not used to vote. Now I can see that, that women, that young people are participating more. And that's something that should awake some sort of optimism in such a dark moment that we're living now. Thank you, Dr. Guerrero, for your response. Just to summarize a little bit. So one of the challenges or a few challenges that you see ahead are poverty, just inequality, problems related to justice, and of course, environments of high polarizations. But again, also the quality of governments. People are disappointed when they vote for someone and that person doesn't deliver in the way that people were expecting for them to do it. So, well, thank you so much, Dr. Guerrero, for sharing your insights on democracy, its challenges, and the role of the Organization of American States. It has been a great conversation. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for more engaging discussions. And thank you so much again, Dr. Guerrero, for your time. Oh, my pleasure. It's a pleasure to be at this excellent university. You've been listening to Global Stage, produced by the Kellogg Institute for International Studies. Listen to other episodes here or wherever you get your podcasts. Global Stage also can be found online at kellogg.nd.edu or by asking your smart speaker to play Global Stage. <laughs>